0: Hey, welcome to the Miss Your Day podcast. Check us out on the web at com. We're in uh, John chapter 20 today. John 20, verse 19 through 23. It's not on the screen, but just he who has, he or she who has ears, let him hear. Uh, on the evening of that day, the first day of the week... The doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands in his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them, Peace be with you. As the Father sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Uh, let's pray. God, we, we thank you so much for all that you are. Um, we thank you so much for this church. Uh, we, miss, we miss each other after silent, awkward dinners with family and um, <laughs> not knowing what to talk about, how do we navigate politics, all those things. Lord, we, we come before you just missing the spiritual family that we are bonded together by your love, Jesus. You love us. We are the people you love. And God, I pray this year would be one where we are so intimate with you. I pray that we lean back on your presence and listen to you. Listen to your heartbeat for us. Listen to your heartbeat for the city. Um, God, may it be one where um, you transform us. And all God's people said, amen. You guys can have a seat. It's so good to see you. Happy new year. Happy new decade. You all look lovely. Um, My name is Brian. I'm one of the elders here. And uh, I haven't taught in a couple weeks, so I feel a little rusty. Um, But we're going to dive in. So uh, as Bam said, we are starting a new uh, season of prayer and fasting. I'd encourage you to, um, as Scripture teaches, to fast food of some sort if you can. Um, Not that you can't fast Netflix and all those things, but um, obviously do what's medically Important. Check with your doctors. All those things, um, but just in scripture, just it's something that the early Christians did. Um, people who uh, wrote about Christians in the third century said that the church fasted so that they could give food to the poor, which is amazing. Um, so, just as you fast, I think one thing is we as we go into the new year, we kind of begin to do all these resolutions. Um, I haven't started any yet. Mine's are going to start tomorrow. Um, so, uh, I'm on a, new, a different calendar. Uh, but, but I think a lot of times when we start these resolutions, we, have you, have you ever thought about this, that we just kind of borrow each other's resolutions? Like, everybody's doing the same thing. Um, I thought about, I love Rene Girard. He's a philosopher. He says that all of our desires are borrowed. So, like a baby smiles, it's smiling because the parents are smiling, right? So, everything we see and want and do, and I'm just thinking, man, how many of us paused in this new year with our resolutions just to say, like, if I'm going to borrow someone's desires for the new year, I want it to be God's desires. Like, if I'm going to have to borrow someone because we're human, we're all just wanting what everybody else has. And what if we borrowed God's desires for the new year? What if we borrowed what he wants? And my question today is: I want to ask is, do you have a listening life? That's what I want to talk to you about today is, is, is we start off with prayer. What does it mean to listen? Like, how many of you on your New Year's resolutions was like, I want to listen more, 2020. That's my goal is to be a good listener. Anyone? Oh, yeah, so, so, so here's my deal. Like, if we are not listening to the voice of God, everything else is just nil. Everything else, it doesn't really matter what we do or what we say. Or what, and so as we go into a series on prayer, I was thinking, man, how many sermons have I heard on prayer? I've heard a lot. How many of them stand out to me? Zero. And, and so I almost am tempted just to say, like, prayer, the best way to grow up prayer is pray. Mic drop, boom, go. Let's, let's just go on with our day. Because that's the truth, is that unless you actually practice this, everything else is just theory. Like unless you actually go home and pray and listen to God and observe, everything we're doing here is just theory. It's just, it means nothing. Um, so so it's, it's almost, you know, if you hear nothing else, know that. Um, and so as we start today talking about the listening life, I want to start off with Mary Oliver. She's full of wonder. She's written so much great poetry, um, I wanna read a couple of poems related to listening in prayer by her. The first one's called I Happened to Be Standing. Mary Oliver, she passed away a couple of years ago. If you've never read any poetry, she's a great place to start. This is called I Happened to Be Standing. I don't know where prayers go or what they do. Do cats pray while they sleep, half asleep in the sun? Does the possum pray as it crosses the street? The sunflowers? The old black oak? growing older every year i know i can walk through the world along the shore or under the trees with my mind filled with things of little importance in full self-attendance a condition i can't really call being alive is a prayer a gift or a petition or does it matter the sunflowers blaze maybe that's their way maybe the cats are sound asleep maybe not while I was thinking this, I happened to be standing just outside my door with my no- notebook open, which is the way I begin every morning. Then a wren in the privet began to sing. He was positively drenched in enthusiasm. I don't know why, and yet, why not? I, don't, I wouldn't persuade you from whatever you believe or whatever you don't. That's your business. But I thought, of the wren singing, what could this be if it isn't prayer? So I just listened, my pen in the air. And the second one is called Praying. She writes, It doesn't have to be the blue iris. It could be weeds in a vacant lot or a few small stones. Just pay attention. Then patch a few words together and don't try to make them elaborate. This isn't a contest, but the doorway into thanks and a silence in which another voice may speak. So good, right? And what Mary Oliver is teaching us is... um, you know, she writes these things, and we can enjoy the fruit of these poems because these poems came from a trellis, you know, a, a, a discipline of walking in the woods and sitting by the ocean. And, and, and I, I read her wonder, and I kind of think, man, I don't have that. And she writes, no, before she died, she wrote, knowledge has entertained me, knowledge has entertained me shaped me, and filled me. Something in me still starves. I have begun to look past reason, past the provable in other directions. And now I think there's only one subject worth my attention. And that is the precognition of the spiritual side of the world. And within this recognition, the condition of my own spiritual state. And the reason I think many of us get caught up in her poetry is because Mary Oliver is an expert at paying attention. And and I think before we start talking about prayer, like we almost kind of have to start... As Bam talked about deconstructing deconstructing the fact that our attention spans in our day and age are horrible. I don't know about you, but I tried to read a book from the other day, and I was like, Why can't I read? (laughs) Like, I can't read a book anymore. Like, I can't finish a book. And I started to realize, like, our we're constantly our brains are being shaped and formed with lower and smaller and smaller attention spans. And so we must must learn the craft of attention in an age of distraction. Uh, it, that's what prayer is. It's an attention to God's voice. So we must have a listening life. We have to have attention to God's voice. There's a lot of um, Christian jargon uh, debate about which is better, hearing or doing um, but what's interesting is Scripture never separates the two. James 1 says that let no one be a hearer of God's word but a doer also. Jesus said in Matthew 7 that one who hears this sermon, he preached this sermon on the mount. He says anyone who hears this sermon is like a man who built his house on a foundation. And the wind came, the storm came, and, and knocked the house over. We couldn't knock the house over because it was on the foundation. But anyone who hears my word and does not do it is like a person who builds their house on a sand. And when the storm comes, the house is washed away. So the great Shema, the whole foundation of the Jewish faith practices, would say the Shema every morning, midday and noon, and it begins with the word Shema," which is the word here in Hebrew. It says, "Hear this, O Israel. Hear this, O Israel. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord with your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might." And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. And then this is amazing. That same word Shema, later, all throughout Scripture, is used interchangeably with doing. Check this out. Exodus 24, Moses is making a covenant with God after they rebelled and made this golden calf. And Moses came and told the people all the words of the Lord and all the, all the rules. And all the people answered with one voice and said, all the words that the Lord has spoken, we will Shema. We will do. So the word hearing and doing are inseparable. Have you ever thought about how sound requires a response? That sound requires a response. If you hear a siren that goes by, um, it, 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 there's, there's like sounds all the time. Our son, Jude, is sometimes sensitive to sounds and don't, doesn't hear anything. Parents are often like, you're not hearing me. You're not listening. What does that mean? You're not obeying me. So hearing and obeying are inseparable. You can't hear something and not obey it, or it's not hearing. That's what scripture is constantly telling us, that when someone screams in pain, what happens? Our bodies, we run in that direction. We hear jackhammers, it's alarming. Someone says our name in a loud way, we turn around. I remember when I was in junior high, I was warming up a pitcher before the game. I'm sorry, I was like, yeah, I was in the ninth grade, uh, warming up a senior pitcher who threw about 80 miles per hour. And all of a sudden, there was a loud cheer going on at one of the other fields. And a game was about to end, and there's a scoring play, and everybody's cheering. So I looked, and he said, Brian. And I turned around, and pop, the ball hit me right square in the eye. Ten stitches here and three stitches here. Fell down, and then one of my friends comes up, and the first thing he says is, I heard that. <laughs> my point is this is that sound, the hit, Brian, requires a response. The cheering requires a response. When we hear things, it requires a response. When God speaks, it requires a response. It requires a response when God speaks. If you hear God speak and we do nothing about it, it's not hearing. It's not hearing. It may be listening. I don't know whether where that breaks down, but it's not what Scripture calls hearing. So I want to I want to talk about what does it look like to listen to the voice of God? How do we hear God's voice? Listening is so important to Jesus. It was his first parable. Right? He says, there's, there's some people that there's these different hearers, and anyone with ears, let them hear. And it's like this seed on the path. He says, there's the rocky listeners. <laughs> They're a little slow. They don't get it. There's the thorny listeners, slowly allowing the power of distraction and the accumulation of wealth to suffocate the word. He says, then there's those who, who hear on good soil. So the question is not will we listen all of us are listening sound requires a response the question for 2020 is whose voice are you going to listen to because we are all listening we listen so well that uh, so much that we have systems of listening it's called social media that that curates your listening of which voices you will listen to and that won't that's why when you go home you're like why are we living in two different countries because we are listening and curating our voices. So who are you going to listen to in 2020? Is it it the voice of the Lord or is it some other voice? And how are we going to learn to manage our distractions? The the, the distortion can be, so um, no other place on the planet applauds the word binging except for the word binge watching, right? If you're like, hey, what'd you do this weekend? I binged eat. Everyone's like, that's amazing. How was it? How hey, would you do this weekend? I binge-drinked. Oh, really? Tell me about it. Was it good? Uh, would you binge-watch? Binge-watch? What did you watch? How many seasons? You know, like I remember talking to one friend. He's like, I was like, what are you doing on Saturday? He's like, that's my binge-watch day. I just binge-watched 12 hours, catch up on a couple of seasons. I was like, what would happen if we gave 12 hours a week to listening to what God wants to say to us? What would happen if we gave... That amount of time to listening to God's voice and what he wants to say to us. Mary Oliver says, attention is the beginning of devotion. And it's easy to admire someone with this poem, but she has a trellis. And so we're stuck in this partial attention. Our brains buzz with tweets and rapid videos and overload and creates a splintering effect in us. As our access to information expands... We're not becoming any wiser, even though we're more knowledgeable. And so consider Jesus. What Jesus does is not only does he ask us to listen, but he listens to us. He listens to what's going on beneath the words. I love uh, uh, Brenda Salter McNeil as she explains the Good Samaritan story. She calls her Sam. Sam is going to a well in the middle of the hot sun because she's rejected. And no, no women will accept her because she's had several husbands, and there's, she's just an outcast. And Jesus meets, this, meets Sam at the well and says, are you thirsty? Can I give you a drink? And Jesus hears the shame and rejection that causes her to get the water. He listens in a way that minds in unexplored places. And for a long time, I thought that the setting was incidental. He meets her at this Jacob's well, and... What if the well is almost a plunging to unknown depths, is like another character in the story? Sam, Jesus listens to Sam's secret place. He meets Jairus' daughter, and this woman grabs him and says, can I speak to you? Can I tell you I've been bleeding for 12 years? And Jesus says he, it says he listens to her whole story. He listens. And so Jesus spent 40 days in the desert before his ministry listening Mark one thirty-five. Jesus left and went to a solitary place when he prayed. Jesus would often withdraw to lonely places. And what's amazing to me is the disciples saw this so much that when the disciples were like, okay, this whole kingdom thing, we're starting to get it. We're starting to get the kingdom of God, that there's a heaven coming to earth and you're bringing it. You're this great Messiah. And they they wanted Jesus to teach them one thing. They didn't say, teach us to preach, teach us to heal, teach us to cast out demons, they said, teach us, Jesus, to what? Pray. To pray. And Jesus taught them the prayer that we all know, right? The, our Father. And what was revolutionary about that was Jesus was taking a prayer. You know, Jesus stole that prayer. You, I don't think many of you know this. He's, you know, Jesus wasn't always original. You're like, oh my gosh, are you serious? He stole that prayer. He, he adapted the prayer from the Jewish history of the Kadash. And he changed it, that it used to say, great and almighty God. And he says, no, 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 pray Abba, Papa, Daddy, our Father. So he revolutionized this to such a personal degree, that prayer was so personal that it made the priests squirm and pinch themselves out of ridiculous anger that Jesus was transforming prayer. And so what do you do? When the wells of delight are dry, right? It's winter. It's often dry. Um, I, I, uh, I'm borrowing this quiz from a friend of mine, another pastor, Lance Odegaard. I love this quiz. It'll probably be something to come back to every quarter this year. It's called the Obligated versus Fascinated Quiz. What's more interesting: a life of obligation or a fascinated life? fascinated. Correct. Which are you more often? Jeez, these questions are getting rather pointed and personal in a hurry. Obligated. (laughs) What does a fascinated person do? They are open. They are hungry. They are perpetually learning. What keeps a person fascinated? Staying connected to the belief that there's always more to the thing than I have experienced, than I understand, than I currently see. The person or thing is always better than I know or am currently giving them credit for. So I'd call that staying curious. Cool exercise, and this matters the slightest to anyone else because this is more of an inner dialogue than a quiz. But you can take this quiz. Um, There's a scoring point scale if you want it. Let me know. I'll give it to you. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, Well, because shared fascination makes for the best science and songs and preaching. It matters because obligation doesn't make for very good work nor will it sustain you in your work. Do you remember Mary Oliver's instructions for living a life? Yes, I do, but only because this quiz is open book. (laughs) Pay attention, be astonished, tell about it. Okay, so then the question becomes quite pointed, will you, God, you're so direct, will you? Yes, I have to, I want to. And I realize that there are things only I can be responsible for in my life. No one will read books for me. No one will exercise my body for me. No one will pursue the presence of God for me. There is no other person that will discipline my life towards delight other than me. It's amazing that it's taken you almost four decades to discover this. Congratulations. Wow, sarcasm too. Thank you. Now what? The focus of every day must be finding feeding and focusing fascination all of this is found through discipline delight and curiosity the purpose of a day is to taste and see that the lord is good that's the purpose of our day that that, that we as a body would be people that that are fascinated with god fascinated with hearing his voice who doesn't want that kind of life who, who does who would rather have an obligated life in here you can raise your hand it's okay I don't know about you, but I want to live a fascinated life of wonder. Um, Abraham Heschel says this. I think his prayer is fitting. Dear Lord, grant me the grace of wonder. Surprise me. Amaze me. Awe me in every crevice of your universe. Delight Me to see how your Christ plays in 10,000 places. Lovely in limbs and lovely in eyes, not his. To the Father through the features of people's faces. Each day enrapture me with your marvelous things without number. I do not ask to see the reason for it all. I ask only to share the wonder of it all. And so my question I want us to explore is how does prayer genuinely happen like genuinely because the last thing i want because what's really easy on a day like this is for you to walk out and be like man i'm so depressed i should pray more right that's what we often leave these kind of messages from like gosh i need to pray more oh man whereas god never wants you to feel you should pray more he never wants you to feel you should have to do this. Only that you, 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 you genuinely begin to want to. And I think prayer best for most of us is the spiritual equivalent of eating celery. <laughs> it's like, gosh, I got to do that. <laughs> I should do that. I lose calories if I eat celery. I should do that. Right? For most of us, that's what we think of when we think of prayer. And so um, I want us to look at John 20. Uh, it's on page 529 in your Bibles in the rows, or you can go to your phone. But we read it earlier. But it's Jesus' post-resurrection appearance after he raises from the dead to his disciples who are locked in the upper room because of fear. Uh, and I think that he, this picture shows us what prayer listening life is like, what a, what a prayer life is like when we listen to God. Um, And so first they're locked in fear in this upper room. Remember that uh, they've followed this Jesus that has now been crucified. Now they as followers are fearful they're going to be crucified. They are worried, hidden, locked away, and embers of a movement are about to go out. This embers of a Jesus movement are about to go out. These are the last followers left. This place of fear and abandonment, this place of this is no longer working. I thought I knew you, but I don't. It's a place of loss and defeat. Do you know this place? Do you know this place where you feel stuck and stalled and paralyzed? And what Jesus does is he stands in their midst. He stood in the middle, in the center of this place, the place of fear. Jesus interrupts and intrudes upon and inserts himself in the center of that place. Isn't it amazing? that Jesus intrudes himself upon fear. And many of us don't like prayer. Well, we're getting into some of the reasons we don't like prayer. But Jesus intrudes himself, and the first thing he says is shalom. Now, I've taught this several different ways. Shalom is like all as it should be in the Old Testament theology. But shalom is just the greeting in the ancient Middle East of hello. Um, Does anybody, what other languages do you know of that are the words hello? Anybody rapid fire. That's one. What's that? Bueno. Hello, bueno. Is that? That's good. That's good. Hola, hola. All right. <laughs> what other language? What other language? What other languages is hello? Any other hellos? Nǐ hǎo, right? Chinese, right? Mandarin. Bonjour, French. Marhaba, Arabic. Any other? Hello? Ciao. Right? All these are these greetings. Right? And when you have kids, you know, right now my son Jude, he goes to preschool and all these kids are like, hey, Jude, which, you know, he loves that song. Uh, He gets it all the time. He's always like, Alexa, play hey, Jude. Um, (laughs) But Jude just like, well, he'll be like, hey, and he'll just keep walking. I'm like, Jude, say hello. Like, you say hello. You have to teach kids to say hello. Otherwise, they're just like, stand there like, hello. Oh. Oh. <laughs> so you have to teach human beings to greet one another. What I, I love this, that Jesus resurrects from the dead, and his very first words are, hey. I love that, because what Jesus is saying is, I'm here, and I see you, and we are here together. And for us to pray, the very first thing we have to do is to hear Jesus say hello. And we have to say hello back to every day, to greet the day, to say hello to what's going on inside of us. Hello, shame, I see you. Hello, fear, I see you. Hello, Jesus, hello. It's just the, the, the most important word for us is to learn the power of hello, to, st- to say Hello. And so why don't we listen? Why do we not listen in prayer? Why a couple of reasons. Number one, we'll go through these quickly. It's the fear of being naive. There's nothing worse for the city of Chicago than a 20 or 30 white something who moved from the suburbs to come to the city and act like they know everything. And so we learn our lives, learning to be masters of the city and learn to master things. This whole we, we build our careers on mastering things. We master the train. We learn first. The rules of the train to master the rules of the train. You get in, you sit down, you put your backpack between your legs, you find that spot in between the door where no one can touch you, and you learn never tip during showtime. Those are the rules of the train. Right? We 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 spend our whole we don't want to appear naive. What's more naive than someone saying, Hey, I heard this voice speak to me? So we we we've learned, I've learned to tell my story. Because people are always like, You're a pastor? They're like, people still do that? Like, what do you, what do you, you're, what, how did you get into becoming a pastor? And I've learned to tell my story for so long to people in Chicago that I was thinking the other day as I prepared for the sermon, every single point of my, my turning points of my life all came because I was listening to God. The point where I was arrested and God said, like he did Elijah, what are you doing here, Brian? Brian? The point where I went to college and he's like, I want you to pastor, like change your major. The point where I was like praying for weeks if I was supposed to go to Africa. My first flight that I've ever flown on was to a trip to Africa by myself as an 18 year old and I was obsessing, should I do this? Should I do this? And I was in the middle of a service and the song came on, send me. And I looked up and saw a picture of a kid in Africa, which I wasn't there before. So, like, my moving to Chicago was out of prayer and fasting. Like, everything I looked at is, like, is because I was listening. And that's not to say that anything's great about me. It's, this is the life I want to get back to. But many of us, we don't hear because we don't want to be naive. Secondly, I think most importantly is this. We fear what God may actually say. We fear what God may actually say. There's the idea that a true god speaking personally to us is terrifying cuz what if we don't like what we hear what if we what if it's going to create change even perceive suffering and we ask why can't i hear god's voice and god's like maybe the real question is why won't you hear my voice <laughs> and so there's this sense of spiritual deafness, and that's an issue of a soft heart, that we need soft hearts. We are called to open up and listen. Some people say, well, the Bible's all you need. Everything's in the Bible. When we do listen, we should do two things. We should always check and make sure it aligns with Scripture. Number two, we should say, does it sound like Jesus? Great filters. But the idea that God only speaks and restricted to papyrus written thousands of years ago makes for a very dusty faith. That God still speaks loudly in multiple ways, in 10,000 ways, through dreams and pictures and words and images and conversations and children and babies and creation and wind and oceans. And whatever he meets you in, he speaks and you can hear the different denominations and tribes arguing, well, he speaks through worship. No, he speaks through sacraments. No, he speaks through a particular leader. No, it's through a whole group consensus. No, it's through a scripture. No, it's church history. It's silent contemplation. It's loud voices. It's tongues. It's visions. It's dreams. Louder and louder, louder. Softer, softer, softer. God speaks personal to us. That's the point. And anybody who tries to put a limit on how God speaks is only a smokescreen for fear. Fearing that they may hear God speak in a way that they don't want him to speak. And so we fear what God will say. Number three, we fear silence. What happens if I get silence? What happens if he doesn't speak? And what I love about it was Elijah, he, was, he said he, he was there listening for God, and he listened to the great wind. It was so strong, and he heard nothing. And these were all the ways God previously spoke, by the way. Then there was a loud wind, nothing, fire, nothing, earthquake, and then the sound of sheer silence. And I love it, It said Elijah said he heard the silence. (laughs) He heard the silence, and he heard God speak. The author of 1 Kings is stirring up like this dangerous cocktail of deja vu of where he hears what Moses, how Moses heard from God, and then he's like, here it comes. It's in the earthquake. It's in the big noises, and God's like, no, 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 no. For you, it's silence. Three, we also fear, or four, we fear of doing it wrong. We fear of what if we're praying wrong? What if we do it wrong? What if we're not saying this right? And then, and then here's why we, we would listen. So why would we listen? Number one, all of us are living stressed out lives. We're living stressed out lives because, instead, because of the fear of naive, we're trying to whiteboard our life out and strategize our life like the world does, and it's stressing us out. So we've traded in the appearance of a naive life for a stressed out life. Does that make sense? Instead of in faith and trust, which appears naive to the world, we've decided to live as the world does and be equally as stressed out. So we live stressed out lives, we need a listening life. Number two, complain is welcome. We should listen because complaint is welcome. We can complain to God and he hears us and he listens, and he allows us to listen. Prayer prayer has taught me two things. One is patience, and number two is a sense of humor. (laughs) That when I pray to God with my complaint, God listens, and then I laugh at myself. (laughs) God listens. We can say whatever. The same person who prayed, where are you, God? Why have you left me? is the same person who penned, you are my shepherd, I shall not want. David can pray these prayers of eloquence and greatness, and yet at the same time say, you have left me for dead. Number, number, number three, trust comes before faith. Trust comes before faith. And then lastly, I'm going to run out of time, so I'm going to go fast. The, only way, the last reason we should pray is the only way to get it wrong is to try to get it right. Let that sink in. The only way to get prayer wrong is to try to get it right. Every one of us should pray as you are. If you leave here and you're not used to praying and listening to God and you go, I'm going to go listen to God for an hour, please do not do that. You will be miserable and you will hate prayer. You'll be like, that's the worst thing ever. Pray as you are. If you, if you want to leave here and like, I'm going to listen for two minutes, pray as you are. If you have no joy and love and happiness to bring, pray your anger and your sadness. Whatever, Wherever you are, praise you are, don't try to get it right or you will mess it up, all right? Um, and then, I'm running out of time, but lastly, Jesus, first of all, says hello, and then he shows him his scars in his hands, and it says that they were overjoyed, which that's something that we should meditate on for a while. It's amazing that they were overjoyed. What was happening there, I think there's a lot of ways you can see this, but I think he's saying, here's my historical documents, I really did raise from the dead. This is not a metaphorical resurrection. It is a historical resurrection. I'm really here. I really did raise from the dead. And he shows us their scars. And he, I think they are experiencing the sufficiency of the cross, seeing forgiveness, reconciliation, that love wins. They are seeing the suffering love and vulnerable love of the cross. And then the weirdest thing happens, and we'll close here is he breathes on them, which I don't know, when's the last time you've breathed on someone? Probably not often. Maybe maybe a close friend or a spouse and says, how's this? Am I ready to go out tonight? But he breathes on them and says, receive the Holy Spirit. Receive the Holy Spirit. The breath, the ruach in the Old Testament was the same as the Holy Spirit. And Jesus seems to be really excited about this he says, as the Father sent me, so I send you. And he says, it's better for me to go away a couple chapters later because I'm going to send the Spirit to you. Acts 10, the Holy Spirit fell. All throughout the scriptures, the Holy Spirit falls. The scripture says, downward is the new upward. That the downward pouring of the Holy Spirit is the new upward. To receive this downpouring of the Spirit, to receive the Holy Spirit. That's what I want. What if if we were a community oriented around that cry? What if we were a community oriented around the cry, come Holy Spirit? Come Holy Spirit. Not a program, not an event, but a cry together corporately. Come Holy Spirit. Amen? I mean, Joseph, could you come come on up as we close in the band? So as we listen... We say, come Holy Spirit. And so, just to summarize, a couple of things. Number one, we greet God. We hear his greeting. Number two, he shows us his scars and his pain, and he listens to our scars and our pain. Some of the, the greatest contribution you can bring to God, the great physician, the greatest contribution you can bring him is your wounds. That's the greatest thing you can bring him. If you have a great physician, and you do, the greatest thing you can bring is your wounds. So he sh- he models us the way, here's my wounds, Lord. Speak I'm listening. And what does the voice of God sound like? It sounds like, if you think about creation. He said, like, let there be, let it be. Do you think he shouted it? I don't know. Do you think he whispered it? Do you think it was an artist painting? Or I love what C.S. Lewis says, maybe he was singing it. Singing creation into existence. But I'll tell you some things. This voice, it'll never try to convince you. It'll just speak. It'll never try to convince you. It'll just speak. And the question I want us to ask, will you welcome the Holy Spirit this year? And if you're welcoming the Holy Spirit, you're welcoming a transformed friendship. You're welcoming a power that's not your own. You're welcoming creativity that's not your own. You're welcoming conviction. Someone to help you discern rightly. And you're welcoming a lot of gentleness and respect. Respect for yourself and gentleness to yourself. You're welcoming someone who attends to the conversation beneath the conversation. Would you guys stand as we pray?